Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. So the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. They didn't drive them out. For whatever reason, they didn't finish the job. God told them to do it, to wipe, out them, every, to wipe them all out. Remember, this is a group that judgment was coming upon, and they, they went in, and they may have done a half-baked job. They didn't finish the job. How important is it to do the will of God? It's, it's important because had they done this the way God wanted them to do, history would be quite a bit different, folks. The ten northern tribes probably wouldn't have gone into captivity to Assyria. The northern two, or the southern two tribes might not have gone into Babylon. How amazing is your love? How can I keep it from shouting your name? Today, Pastor Rob reminds us how important it is to do the will of God. Hi everyone, and welcome to this edition of Truth in Christ Radio. As Pastor Rob finalizes chapter 20 in the book of Deuteronomy, he reminds us that this is the second time God warns the children of Israel of intermingling with the people that have been occupying the land he had promised them. You see, God's will was clear. Obey what he says and all will go well. Jesus Christ's obedience to the will of his Father had paid the price for our disobedience. How thankful we are for his sacrifice that enabled us to love and obey. Here's Pastor Rob with the final teaching in this chapter. Oh my. That's called psychological warfare. That's what a good army general thinks of when he attacks and he knows that his enemy is coming from the, uh, from the west. He'll actually engage them right as the sun is coming up. Why? Because as they're coming from the west and the army is coming from the east, the sun's going to come up on the east. It's going to blind these guys. They can't see anything. And now they're just sitting ducks. They can't see anything. And that's the way sometimes things the Lord does, and it's really amazing. And we know the rest of what happened there. They, they break the pictures, and, and the, the, the torch comes out, the trumpets are blown, and the enemy is scared to death. They start running and killing each other. Let's go back to Deuteronomy now. Chapter 20, verse 9, it says, And, it, it sh- and so it shall be when the officers, when they finish speaking to the people as they're about ready to go in, or to into battle, that they shall make captains of the armies to lead the people. And when you go near to a city to fight against it, then proclaim and offer a peace to it. Now look at the grace of this. You know, is God just a God of war? He doesn't care about people? Now there is a group of people, we looked at that, and we're going to see that in the, in, when we get down to verse 16. The people that are mentioned down in verse 16 had it coming. For hundreds of years they didn't repent, but not so these other groups of people. When they engaged them in war afar uh, off, This is how they're supposed to do it. They're supposed to send conditions of peace. You surrender to us, and everything will be fine. If you don't, if you resist it, then we're going to come after you, right? 
And notice that God's of God's grace in that too. They're not just going to go in and just plunder the city and kill everybody. That was reserved for a specific nations. Those seven nations that we're going to read about in just a few minutes, it was specifically for them. But for any others, God says, this is what I want you to do. If they accept your offer of peace and open to you, then all the people who are found in it shall be placed under tribute to you, and they shall serve you. And they would treat them well. They wouldn't treat them like, you know, what we think of slavery. They, they would treat them nice. I mean, they would still, their lives are spared, and they're going to help gather water for them in the morning and stuff like that, and they'll feed them. They'll protect them. They'll give them a place to stay. Sometimes that's better than most people have. Now, if the city will not make peace with you, but war against you, then you shall besiege it. Notice verse 13. And when the Lord your God delivers it into your hands, you shall strike every male in it with the edge of the sword. Now, think of all these men, all these women, all these children who are going to lose their dads. The wives are going to lose their husbands. Now, because of their rebellion against what, you know, if they're going against them. And now it's going to get ugly. And when you're... I'm sorry, but the women, notice, verse 14, the little ones, the livestock, and all that is in the city, all that spoil, you shall plunder for yourself, and you shall eat the enemy's plunder which the Lord your God gives you. Notice, he doesn't say, kill everybody. He's going to do that for certain, again, certain nations. But these people, when they, when they engage them in war, they're not going to harm the women. They're not going to harm the children. They won't even harm the men if they'll just surrender peacefully. Does that sound like the Lord? It does. I mean, that, that's how, he, how much he values life. We live in a culture that doesn't value life so much. You know, our own governor in this state has, is passing laws that it's okay to kill children. He doesn't understand that it's murder. It is murder. God says that life begins at conception. And this man says that, you know, even after a baby's born, they can kill the, the, the infant. I mean, are you, are you kidding me? What glue is this man sniffing? He ought to be ashamed of himself. I pray that that man comes to Christ. I really do. Because let me tell you, if he does not, he is going to face a world of trouble. He would wish he had never been born. He would wish he would never have been born when he stands before a holy God and God looks at him with fire in his eyes. And this guy, I pray to God that he'll never see it. I pray that he'll return from his sin and repent and come to Christ. That is his only hope at this point. But God is gracious. Verse 15, Thus you shall do to all the cities which are very far from you. Notice, underline that phrase, very far from you. Not the, not the nations that they're coming to dispossess, the inheritance that they're giving. No, he's not talking about those people. Not talking about those cities. But the cities that are far from you, which are not of the cities of these nations. What nations are you, you might wonder? Verse 16, but... Of the cities, of these peoples, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. Notice the big difference. You shall let nothing that breathes remain alive. Now the rules of engagement are quite different. Because of their sin, because of the hundreds of years they've been given to repent and did not, God says, these people... Verse 17, but you shall utterly destroy them, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, just as the Lord your God has commanded you, lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations which you have done for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. You know, back in Deuteronomy chapter 7, uh, God had given that command. Uh, let's just go there really quick. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Uh, let me just read it to you, okay, for the sake of time. 
It says, when the Lord, and, and again, this is going back to the beginning of, of Deuteronomy. We're now in chapter 20, but back in chapter 7, the Lord said to them, when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess, and, his, and he cast out many nations before you, and here he lists them again, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son or take their daughter for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve who? Other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and suddenly destroy you. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars, break down their sacred pillars, cut down their wooden images, these wooden ashtoreths that they would um, rear up, and burn their carved images with fire. God would say this to them. And now he's saying it again. Lest they teach you, back in Deuteronomy 20, verse 18, lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations, which they have done. This is why the judgment is coming upon them, because of these things. And you sin against the Lord. That is why. Turn with me to Judges. Judges chapter 1. And again, in history, you know, after Joshua passes from the scene, and the, the whole book of Joshua is them settling into the land after they've crossed over, right? And they've broken up the land into different sections, and they've gone in and inhabited those. But notice what it says in verse 18. It says, And also Judah took Gaza with its territory, and Ashkelon with its territory, and Ekron with its territory. And so the Lord was with Judah, and they drove out the mountaineers. But notice, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland because they had chariots of iron. Now look with, at me to uh, verse 21. And then it talks about Benjamin. But the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. So the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. They didn't drive them out. For whatever reason, they didn't finish the job. God told them to do it, to wipe, out them, every, to wipe them all out. Remember, this is a group that judgment was coming upon, and they, they went in, and they may have done a half-baked job. They didn't finish the job. How important is it to do the will of God? It's, it's important because had they done this the way God wanted them to do, History would be quite a bit different, folks. The ten northern tribes probably wouldn't have gone into captivity to Assyria. The, northern two, or the southern two tribes might not have gone into Babylon. They, went into these, they were taken captive by these different places. Why? Because they learned the idolatry from this. This is where it all happened. They were learning. And God says, I know you. If you don't take care of this, they're going to be a thorn in your side all of your life. And history shows it. And we'll be reading as we go and we're going to see it happening. We're going to see it happening. And then look at verse 27. However, Manasseh, notice, did not drive out the inhabitants of Bethshan and its villages. And then go down to verse 29. Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer. So the Canaanites dwelt in Gezer among them. 30. Verse 30. Nor did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron or the inhabitants of Naholal. So the Canaanites dwell among them, and there they put them under tribute. So much better to have somebody do things for you than to just terminate them all together, right? That's maybe what they're thinking. Why should we have to draw our water in the morning if we can get them to do it? But God says, I want you to destroy every living thing. But they would not. And for some reason, 
And then it says in verse 31, Nor did Asher drive out the inhabitants. So the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Verse 33, Nor did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh or the inhabitants of Beth, but they dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. And then notice in chapter 2, we're just going to read the first six verses of this. And as a result of this, this disobedience, half-baked, half-obedience of Israel, says, Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said to Israel, I led you out of Egypt and brought you to the land which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Can you imagine hearing the Lord speak those kind of words? I hope I never hear a disappointing word from God. All I want to hear is, good and faithful servant, and I'll get to the back of the bus. That, that'd be, I'd just be happy with that. I'll gladly, I'll, I'll, I'll be back there. I'll even hold on to the back of the bumper like I did when I was in Michigan in the snower time when I was a little kid. I'd grab the bumper of the, of the bus as it goes, and we'd just slide around. Kids would be stacked on and grab legs. And, and have you ever done that? We did that. Very dangerous. Don't ever do that, kids. Adults don't even do that. Some of you might want to. But he says, I've made a covenant with you. Break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out from before you. Notice, as a result of this disobedience, God says, I, drive, I, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare to you. There's the prophecy. There's the prophecy. They will be a snare to you. And so it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of the Israel that the people lifted up their voices and they wept crocodile tears. That's how I interpret it. And that's the Rob Kellogg version. But, and the reason I say that is because crocodile tears, they, they, they happen because you hurt my feelings. Right? You hurt my feelings. And so I got these big crocodile, but it doesn't change my heart. That's called earthly repentance, right? Or um, it's, not, it's not real repentance. It's worldly repentance. Actually, it's just worldly sorrow is really what it is. And the reason I know that is because what happened in the future. It never changed what was on in the inside. And then they called the name of the place Bochim, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. But because they did not drive out the inhabitants of those nations, now they were a plague to them for a long time. As you go through Judges, what is Judges but a series of events where God would raise up an enemy, or, or the children of Israel would be a disobedient, and then God would raise up an enemy, and then God would raise up a deliverer, a savior, lowercase s, to save them. Jephthah was one of them. Deborah was one of them. Samson was one of them. Gideon was one of them. Othniel, Ehud. These were all judges that God would raise up at different times because the judge would deliver them out of the hands of their enemies and then things would go really well for a while and then they'd sloop back down into their troubles, into idolatry. God would raise up another nation to chasten them or another group of people to chasten them and then God, you know, they would cry out, God, help me, forgive me, and God would say, okay, Othniel, and Othniel would deliver them from the hand of their enemies. And then things would go fine for a few years. And then they'd slip back into their idolatry again. And this is going on for about 430 years, this whole roller coaster. And it goes on into, the, into, into Samuel and, and into, the, the, into Saul. And, 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 and as we get into looking at the line of David and after uh, Solomon 
and the kingdom divides, and now the northern ten tribes are completely engrossed in this stuff. They've learned it from their ancestors. It's been with them all this time. They continue in it, so much so that God has to judge them. He has to judge it, and he allows those northern ten. You know, in 722 B.C., the Assyrians came and led them out by fish hooks in their lips and linking them together and leading them out of the city, each of them attached with a fish hook through their jaw, I believe it was. So they'd have right through here, they'd have a a big hook. Don't anybody trip or faint in the way because you're going to pull the jaw of somebody else. right? Think of how awful that would be. Isn't that nice to know after dinner? But that's horrible. It's horrible. And then the, the southern two tribes in 586 or 606 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar, the southern two tribes didn't learn anything from their brothers up north. And all of this started back here. Do you see how one thing of disobedience can lead to such trouble and it's just a snowball effect? And that's the, that's the nature of sin, right? The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life by Jesus Christ. That's the wage you get for disobedience. The wage of it is death, and that death could be physical right now, or it could be just a loss and a decay slowly over time. Either way, they're both, they're both horrible. But then he goes on in verse 19, and he says, When you besiege a city for a long time while making war against it to take it, you shall not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them. If you can eat of them, do not cut them down to use in the siege, for the tree of the field is man's food. And you see how even God in, 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 in building embankments against a city, he would even encourage them to not take the fruit trees. See, the enemy could care less about any of that. When Nebuchadnezzar and when the Romans came against Jerusalem in 70 AD, they, just, they cut down everything. They could care less. They bring their own provisions. But God says, when you go, when you do this, Israel, when you go in, don't cut down the fruit trees. That's man's food. Probably be food for you if you're at the siege long enough, so be kind to that tree. I made that tree (laughs) for you and for them. Only the trees which you know are trees not for food you may destroy and cut down. That makes sense. To build siege works against the city that makes war with you until it's subdued. And so you just, you know, you look at this whole chapter, and we're going to stop there, but I I love the idea that God is, he, he really cares for people. And, you know, people like to think of God in the Old Testament as just as warrior, and he is. He is a warrior. But he's the most compassionate warrior that ever existed because most warriors are just mean and just angry, and they're just like, you, you see these guys on television, or, or you see them in the, in the movies. They're just angry, and they're just nasty, right? They, they look like the devil, and, and they act like it, and they just tear people apart, right? And they're victorious. They stand on the hill and they hold up the head, you know? I mean, it's, that's the kind of uh, thing it is, you know? But God is a warrior, but he's a loving God, and he loves people. Even his enemies he loves, and he cares about them. He cares about how they're engaged, some, he's like, no, you've got to go in and just wipe everything out. And others, he's like, you know, send an ambassador to the city and, and say, if you guys surrender now, there'll be no, nobody will get hurt, and you guys can serve us, and we'll all live, you know, and things will be fine. But if you don't, then we've got to come against you, or if they're coming against them. 
You know, and then there's, there's different rules of engagement. But in, in the end, God is thinking about the human being. He's thinking about life. And to me, that's the difference between everything else and God. God is compassionate. He's loving. He's the good shepherd. He's the one who saved me. He's the one who saved you. He's the one who conquered our enemy for us because we were helpless. We were hopeless. There was nothing that we could do against an enemy so great. In our flesh, we, we, are, we were sitting ducks. Do you realize that? Against Satan, alone by yourself, without Christ, you are nothing. You are a sitting duck waiting to be devoured. But if you have Christ in you, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so we have a great conquering general that has already gone before us and not only has conquered death and hell and has given us the down payment, the very earnest of our salvation by indwelling us with the Spirit of God, but he says it gets even better than that. I've made the down payment, and there's coming a day where I'm going to redeem your bodies, and your bodies are going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And they're going to be caught up together. And you'll meet me in the air. That day could happen. That moment could happen any time. It, gets, it just keeps getting better and better for the Christian. And why is that? Because the price has been paid in full. We don't have to make that price ourselves. We couldn't make the price ourselves. But he paid the price for us. So be encouraged as we read through uh, Deuteronomy. I love it. You know, Just look at, see the grace of God. See the hand of a, of a compassionate God. I mean, when you read that tonight, read it over again tonight and, and, and notice how he had, was going to have the children of Israel engage certain groups of people. And it was always out of, out of God's love and grace. And aren't you glad you're beneficiaries of that grace tonight? I know I am. It's a joy. Everybody smile. It's all good, isn't it? It's really wonderful. Let's stand and let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your goodness toward us. Lord, you've always been good to us. You've never left us and you've never abandoned us. Lord, you said that you would be with us to the end of the age. And Lord, here we are at the end of the age. And we don't know how much more time there is before this age truly ends in the sense of before you come back to set up your your reign on the earth, before you first come and get us, you rapture us from this earth, Lord. And then seven years later for us to return with you for a thousand years in Jerusalem. Lord, we are amazed. And we're so thankful, Lord. The same love and the grace that you show us in your word, Father, may we share that with people. Lord, that there's no need for anyone to die and be separated from you forever. Lord, there's no need for it. But salvation uh, is a decision away. But you are the focus of all of that. It's all about you, Lord. It always has been. It always will be. So, Lord, fill our hearts with yourself. And, Lord, help us tonight to meditate on your goodness. And in the morning as we wake, Lord, help us to meditate on your goodness. Lord, to truly be raptured in our hearts, Lord, with your beauty. Lord, help us to be carried away with these things, to realize the perfection of your love, the perfection of your gaze, the perfection of your thoughts. And, Lord, we pray for the same mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Lord, we want the very mind of Christ to live lives that are holy, 
to live lives that are pleasing to you, Lord. Would you do that work in us tonight and all throughout this week? We ask it in Jesus' name. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.